Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. So today's Right Light, uh, I got to talk to yet another one of my friends who uses games to help people spark collaborative storytelling. And today the interview ran kind of amazingly long. We ended up with a two-hour interview. And in it, I got a chance to talk to Cesar Capacla about how he builds games, why games can be so emotionally engaging and brilliant for helping folks tell stories, how they help build confidence and social skills. We even got to build a setting, a whole world, using his incredible push system. So if you'd like to hear all of that, the extended version, the full two-hour interview is on patreon.com backslash stories RPG. And it's available for everybody. All you got to do is sign up. It's free. And uh, if you'd like to hear the full interview, please check it out. Again, that's patreon.com backslash stories RPG. Welcome, everyone. This is Stories RPG, the story podcast where we tell stories better together. And today is a Right Light episode with uh, a guest who I have a huge creator crush on, the amazing, the ingenious, the imaginative Cesar Capacle. And then the crowd goes wild. Ah! <laughs> Thanks very much for this introduction, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, God, that's very sweet for you to say. Um, it, it is entirely my pleasure. So for those of you who don't know, um, I make games and have made them for many, many years at LuckOfLegends.com and of course, StoriesRPG.com. And Cesar is one of the people who I have seen his games, played his games, um, and always been stunned by the way in which he builds. Um, and I'll, I'll let him say more about his games and you can find him at quirky.games. So you can find all of his work there and it's amazing work. So writing is difficult. Making a tool that helps other people imagine and create stories while at the same time having a similar experience to the one that you do when you read a great book, where you're surprised by things, where you feel the tension of not knowing the outcome, where, where uh, you know there's a plot twist and you're like, <gasps> and you have that moment of drama. That's a very difficult thing to do. And it's even more difficult to do it simply and elegantly so that it's easy to play and anybody can pick it up and figure out how to do it. And uh, Cesar's games are all brilliant like that. And they are all new and different and do something mechanically brilliant. And so every time he releases something, I buy it and I get excited about it and I, I nerd out and read it extensively. And so I got very excited that I got to have him on the program. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I... I love this this challenge that you pointed out. I think it's Da Vinci that said that simplicity is the ultimate level of sophistication, and I I'd, I'd agree because uh, if you just spend a lot of uh, I don't know pages and rules and adding layers to try and get to a point is is one approach. It's perfectly fine but <laughs> that's one approach no that's just that's just a, that's just a mistake it's a mistake <laughs> but when you can boil down to the essence of it and still communicate what you're intending to with few rules or even 
paragraphs with a single line and that comes across, I think that's where lies the, the, the best things that we can do in this space, which is a very peculiar space. Uh, yeah. Writing RPGs is such a weird thing. It's so hard to explain to, to people that is out of the, the hobby, right? You say, what, what exactly do you... So, so you write the, the instruction manuals? Is that is that your job? Yeah. <laughs> well, in a way, kind of. but it's... All, it's fiction as well, and it's it's like yes. graphic design, and, and yes, it's mixed with a recipe book, so it sits like in between all those frontiers. So yeah, it's oh, I uh, like recipe book. That's a right? great metaphor. You you made me think because you just like a chef, right? When a chef's writing a cookbook, you spend a lot of time experimenting, where you kind of go into the kitchen and you're like, mm, is this gonna work? And like. You tweak things, and that's definitely how you come up with good mechanics. Is and the book as well. Playing around. Like, you have to have clear instructions, but, but also some kind of visual guidance that offers you the kind of experience you might expect when doing it. So Yeah, yeah like that cultivates the feel of, of the world and, that you're going to create. I, I, I often like to say that, um, so for everybody listening, when you write a game, of course, there's the words, right? Here's how to play the game, right? Here's what you do. Then there are the the visuals, right? Which might include things like, oh, I need a visual here to show rolling dice, or I want a visual that shows a map of the world or somebody who's a, a, an interesting character who's central to this next piece. Um, but there's also the way they all come together, the way even the way they're positioned on the page, the kind of line work in the art, all of it effectively cultivates an experience. It makes you feel something. So, I mean, I often think, and I'm not, um, I'm not, I, I, you know, D&D has a, a space that is very well staked out and it's sort of 80% of the, the market of storytelling games. But I think one thing that they do well is they create books that have all this art in them and that communicate the feeling of the game in sometimes a much more compelling way than the actual game itself does. If you look at the, if you look at the actual way the game is built, you're like, mm, this isn't actually what it looks like it is. Like you look at the book and you're like, it's this epic fantasy and we're all larger than life. And when you play it, you're like, oh, actually it's a lot of little, you know, <laughs> pokey plus ones and minus ones and rolling dice. And it doesn't feel very epic sometimes. That frustration was one of the things that led me to game design, actually. The promise of, Same. of D&D and the delivery of D&D were a little too far off. And I said, well, that doesn't feel like the only way that it is, it's possible to experience this thing. It, it feels like there is not a connection going on here and uh and then when i discovered other things i said oh okay okay now we're talking now this feels <laughs> more like the, the kinds of experience that i i wish i had when i started playing for sure well it's funny so since we're talking about dnd i might as well talk about your your rewrite which i think is brilliant uh nexalis is just a lovely take on the classic uh, you know, the classic high fantasy role-playing experience that everybody wants because um, it's very, you know, familiar to folks. And I think, you know, the way in which you've made the rules both push story more and help people tell story better and then also kept a lot of the things that people love about D&D, which is, you know, there's there's a lot of like really cool ways in which you've re-engineered how a, a, an epic fight looks. What does it 
you know, why are you engaged with it? How does it become this giant, super edgier seat kind of a experience? <laughs> and I love the ways in which you've you've put that together. Do you want to say a little bit about it? Yeah, uh, it was pretty much my intention was to give it my take. I uh, I made nearly 30 games now. And uh, for some reason, the classic high fantasy escaped me. And then I saw this art from Penflower Inc., which was this six characters. And I got really inspired to take it, give it for a spin. Yeah. And, and I tried to approach it, well, my way, which is uh, rose light, uh, procedure heavy. So it, it gives you tools to answer the question, okay, what do I do next? Which I think it's one of my philosophies. I, I don't want to rely on someone else that brings a baggage of experience from outside the game mm. to make sure that the game works. I want to provide as a designer all the tools you need. Games that anyone can play. Yeah, that's. I, I feel like that's so key. Exactly. Even because I don't have a GM for my game. So yeah, I, I need the, the rules to take care of it. And I love your mechanics for sharing what happens next between the players. Because in reality, in any game, really what happens next is a, 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 an outcome of how people interact, right? What decisions they make together. And I love the ways in which you allow them and invite them and guide them into getting to make these wonderful choices that will push the story forward and make it more interesting and keep things moving. Because sometimes without a narrator, a lot of, a lot of other games falter. They rely on somebody sort of saying, this is what's going to happen. And now this happens and drama happens here. And I love that you you step back and said, mm, that doesn't have to happen. Actually, we all love drama. So let's create some ways in which we can each of us contribute to the drama and up it. And yeah, exactly. Because I felt like when I was starting uh, being a storyteller or a GM, I felt that there was this pressure or this uh, kind of uh, yeah. unbalance both in authority, narrative authority, and narrative responsibility. You know yes. that point uh, when everyone around the table just looks at you and expecting you to, to like come up with the most brilliant things. And when I decided that you can just like uh, pull the curtains and say, I don't know, here it is. What do you think should happen next? What yes. would be fun? And uh, that's the kind of experience I like. So I, I brought it to, to Nexalis as well, sharing those tools that allow you to, you know, jump between the stances of, okay, I am immersed in the, the character I'm playing right now, but I can take a step back and look at the whole and see, you know what? It would be fun if we just complicated our lives to the most at this very moment. Yeah. Let's just bring in the most complicated, thing ever oh yeah right so this is the the writer's stance in a way and i yeah. want this to be a shared experience because i feel michael that uh, when you uh remove this person of authority this gm we tend to be more welcoming to complicating the lives of your our yes. own characters because yes. we don't feel that we need to challenge this opposition this place of authority. The authority is no longer your obstacle. Instead, exactly. The obstacles are of your own. You're, you're being invited to cultivate an author's sensibility. Yes. I actually, yes. in, in Luna Uni, which was my, my classroom version of Stories RPG, uh, I, I call it, I mean, this is how I think about it, author and avatar mode. So when you're in avatar mode, 
you're thinking like your character. And if something bad happens, you're like, oh no, because you don't want to happen as as your character would hate this thing. (laughs) And it's really positive and great um, as both a teacher and as a storyteller to be able to pause things and say, okay, everybody stop. Stop thinking like your characters for a second. Author moment. What would be cool to have happen here for a good story? Yeah. And all of a sudden, a bunch of kids, you'll see a kid who's like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's really crucial to, you You pointed it out earlier. You said it's this weird space, right? Role-playing games. What the it heck is. are those, right? <laughs> like, And that's the thing is we're both game designers and you've made 30 games. They're all storytelling games. They are, yeah. And that's what's interesting to me. And I wanted to sort of like ask you as somebody who does this full-time, you know, is is a brilliant designer, can you articulate why it is that you are so fascinated by and like so committed to story games? Because I have my own reasons and my own rationale, but like I think it's something that is so intuitive and so basic to so many people. And yet, you know, without the right game, people don't unlock it. They don't, they don't have that ability to jump in and create together. And this is one very unique avenue that seems to work. And I, I wonder if you have a sense of your why there, because like I'm, I'm just as obsessed as you are with these story games. I do, I do have a sense. Yes, I. Uh, the good thing about turning forty is that you can be very honest about what you like and you don't like when you experience everything, including your hobbies. And uh, it was a long time before I made peace with the fact that the thing that I enjoy about this hobby of ours is the even the stories we tell after we play. So when yeah. we remember back to the session yes. and our minds already edited the best parts and created this this tale that when you share uh, this the the uh, emergent narrative that, that comes when things click together, apparent random facts that you realize, oh, so that's why certain yes. thing happened. And this this is the best for me, Michael. I uh, even I I don't care much for the role playing aspect of role playing games. If that's too weird, which I mean, uh, like embodying the character, and uh, you know, it, it's not just the acting part or make funny voices, but uh, even the small decisions the step-by-step decisions is something that i care but not as much as those aha moments when you realize that a very important plot point is coming to fruition through the combination of the the ideas that you had your friends had or if you're playing solo even a role on a random table that seems magically synced with everything that was happening yeah And then you go, oh my God, this is so cool. So that's why that entity talked to me that moment. And this random word that I just got makes perfect sense. So that's that's why story games for me is speaking on a higher level above everything else. For those, I live for those moments, you know. I don't know. I think you put it just really perfectly. And I think there's something that for me as an English teacher, this is why I like using role-playing games to teach, is that that experience in a book, anybody who's become a fluent reader has had that experience in a book where you're like, oh, that's why, you know, because a really good author, you know, they dropped you little tiny things that seemed inconsequential at the time. And when they finally all come together, 
boom, you know, the yeah. plot and also the character's development, it all hits like a hammer. And you, as a reader, kind of have a transformative experience. It's this amazing ability that humans have to live and experience things and even change who they are through experiments of the mind, you know, and sharing oh, this yeah. with other people. It's such a bonding thing, you know, that what you were talking about, the stories you tell afterwards, you know, when you've been through a story game with someone, you know them in a different way and you're connected in a different way. Oh, absolutely. You, you come to a deep understanding of one another and also have this shared identity of we, we were there. We were there together when, and story games let that happen in this amazing organic way where it, it, you know, this idea that an author, much like in a D&D game, what you were saying earlier about that authorial responsibility, right? The narrative responsibility is on the person who's the storyteller. Ugh, that's so unfortunate. I think that's the reason most people don't write stories. They sit down and they're like, oh gosh, I got to make everything up myself. (laughs) And like, there's no discovery, there's no joy, there's no play, there's no fun to it. And I mean, if you're a wonderful writer and you can can do that by yourself, that's amazing. But you mentioned it. um, And for everyone out there, you should definitely check out Cesar's um, uh, solo play games. There are even solo RPGs. These are role-playing games, which are tools that help you as an individual make up and explore a story and write it out and and sort of decide what happens and get those same experiences of being surprised, seeing things click into place and, and being shocked. Yeah, which is for, for someone that never experienced a solo RPG might seem counterintuitive that you say yeah, that you can uh, be yeah. surprised by a story that you were writing yourself. Yep. yep. As a play, but it's very much true. And uh, it is those moments are the best, I think. It's the, the, those revelations that come into fruition while you play. It's uh, unparalleled. And I think that you discover facets of uh, yourself, of your personality while playing. Yeah. And uh, I, I believe that... Uh, a uh, shared, a uh, cooperative game of storytelling game would be superior to any kind of interview on a, in a job place because you reveal things about people yeah. very fast when yeah. you give them the authority to say things about a world or how things will turn out. It's not, it doesn't go to a psychological aspect. Well, not for me because I'm not a specialist. It can't go if by the, the right people, but you can get a glimpse of uh, how that person behaves when given the authority and the space to express themselves in a, in a, in a shared uh, world building experiment. So I think it's super valid in this way. And uh, I learned more about uh, people that I had known for a while sharing those moments than I had like for, I, I've been with this person for 10 years and I never knew. Just, just wait, you're going to find out. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing about play also. And this is something that I think is so unfortunate that we, we kind of have this concept in many cultures anyway, that play is somehow contrary to, or in opposition to learning and business and serious productive things. And I find that it's the absolute opposite. Because when you are at play, that's when you get to really have the freedom to stretch. So in role-playing games, you may not know there's a part of you, you know, that is a weird, squirrely little goblin who keeps gunk in their in their back pocket and uh, and you know delights in traveling through toilets because you've mastered the sewer system. But 
if 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 you're free to play, you'll find those those different yous and and sort of learn from them. That's the psychological aspect. I mean, there's a lot of research out there on the ways in which these sorts of story games can help people uh, experiment with and become more comfortable with challenge and different aspects of their personality. And um, and I just think that that's amazing and transformative. And I agree. I don't think I can think of a single other thing that anyone can do where that's true. Sports yep. sports do a lot of things, but, but not this that. does exactly. There's there's a layer of you know they have challenge and they have bonding and they have communication and they have you know mastery building, but they don't allow for that experimentation with uh, with different selves. Yeah, and that that uh, that feeling of of um, of mastery of new new parts of yourself, and it it's supernatural to us, and it I think sometimes it's unfortunate that uh, this hobby is presented for the majority of people as something that uh, is just a specific set of skills that you have to master in for for you to be able to enjoy. Yeah, and, and that's a I shame agree. because storytelling is so ingrained in our cultures. Even when we sleep, that we are supposed yes. to rest, what do our <laughs> brains do? It creates Create stories. narrative. <laughs> Create narrative. Yes. We can't escape storytelling, even if, if we wanted to. We create stories about the things that happen in your lives. We create coincidence. We look for patterns and everything. Yeah, and playing solo is pattern recognition. To, yeah, to the extreme, like you yeah, have no, definitely. to, you have to link things that are unrelated and come up with a, a narrative sense to it, and it comes naturally. So much so that the best experiences I have when playing RPGs cooperatively are with people that never played before, because it's much easier for them to get into the sync of shared space narrative than for someone that had an experience with traditional RPGs to unlearn the things they believed were true and then allow themselves to express in a, in a shared space. You know, So that's why I think it's kind of unfortunate that the, for most people, the first experience they have is a, yeah. it's a very specific and very limited way of thinking of RPGs, uh, although it's mainstream, is yep. not the majority by any means. Yeah, and that's and that's really I agree. I couldn't agree more. It's funny because when I tell people what I do, and I'm like, yeah, I use I use story games to teach kids, and they're like, what do you mean by story game? And I'm like, well, role playing games. And they mean, oh, like D and D. And I say, well, and then I have this very very awkward moment where I try to explain. That that is a very it's it's a very strange thing. That's like saying I have a tool, uh, and I use this tool, and people say, "Oh, so you have a hammer?" And I'm like, "Actually, no. <laughs> like, I don't <laughs> have a hammer, and I don't use a hammer. And this is not about nails. There are a lot of things in that in that you know that are, that count as tools that yeah. you can use to build things, and that is a very limited tool. It only does one thing, and uh, and that's a very hard uh, and weird conversation to have to have." about something that is so natural, right? Storytelling yeah. is the root of all learning. It's the root of all culture. I mean, the funniest thing to me is that adults, you can put them in a room and say, all right, we're going to tell a story together. And a lot of them are like, oh gosh, and they get nervous. Yeah. You put two five-year-olds in a room, don't tell them anything. <laughs> They'll tell a story within two minutes. It won't right? take them any time to be dragons and whatever. You know, they, they'll do it. So that's always been... And I think that's one of the roles for me that really good game design can do is it can help people 
break out of those strange constraints that we build around our creativity and around our personalities and become more flexible. You know, there's yeah. a lot of research on sort of um, what, cognitive flexibility and youth, right? Like that young people who stay who stay learning, who stay curious, who stay creative, who stay engaged with creative hobbies, they stay mentally uh, cognizant longer. It helps offset dementia and memory loss. And I think story games are a really, really good story game design is this really wonderful way to kind of, um, I sort of break your shackles, right? Like break, break yeah. the, the, the prisons and cages you've built around yourself. Very much so because uh, we have uh, played at, since kids uh, storytelling games, free form storytelling games, which yeah, is yeah, yeah. perfectly fine. I, I mean, I remember, I think the best moments of my childhood was with my figurines and uh with from completely different sets and just putting yes. them together and creating lore around them heck yeah yeah it was super fun and of course uh, and those games what we create i think as uh, game designers for this particular set of uh, story games is scaffolding for those kinds of experience uh, the the what now? So uh, if you feel stuck or, or you want inspiration or you want structure or you want mm -hmm. an answer that you want to rely on someone else or something yeah. else to answer. Take the pressure off yourself for a moment exactly. so that you can get unstuck because we yeah. all get stuck in a narrative. Yeah. A, a good game is, is, is like a sounding board. You, you speak things, it, it, it talks back to you and then you, you oh, okay. So this is a cool avenue that I can explore. Let's go this way. And I live for this. I live for these moments. Like, And uh, I, I want to provide, when I create games, I want to provide not uh, trails, the avenue that you have to keep yourself in, but a, a, an alternative. If you're feeling lost, you can open like a map and see, oh, okay, what can I do? Oh, if what if I tweak here? Or what if I go here? Let's see yeah. what happens. And yeah. then you perhaps roll some dice or flip some cards and magic happens. Yes. And I see that magic happening when I get a lot of people around. Okay, let's make our own version of that. Yes, yes. The, the sense of ownership. That's key. Authorship. Yeah, th this is our world. Yeah, the stories get so much better when people are invested in and not just participants in, I think. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, that's why I try to, to do that on my games. Good questions. That's the key. I always think of it as you want to inspire, but never restrict. So I call them in, in my brain, like this is my design principles, but I call them lore seeds. They're not full plants. I'll offer several seeds and I'll say, here are some seeds, you grow them. And they sort of get planted in the fertile soil of whatever the imagination that is brought to the table by all the players is. And they grow into very different plants in different games. But, you know, you have to give something there. It's sort of like when you sit down at the table, if you just sit down with a bunch of people and say, oh, let's tell a story. A lot of people can't just start from from scratch. Yeah. But if you give them a, if you give them that structure, if you give them a little shaping, here, answer this question. Um, the person to your left, how did they betray you? All of a sudden they're like, oh, <laughs> like, or in this world, there is, there is one, one legend that refuses to die. What is it? You know, and all of a sudden, you know, everybody's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I love things that do very specific things in game design. So 
I, I want to explore different themes. That's why I don't write supplements or uh, revised editions much for my stuff is that I'm always interested in exploring uh, what this weird thing that we do that's writing games yeah. <laughs> is capable yeah. of. So I, yes. I've done that. What next? What else can we use this tool for? And yeah. uh, that's w- what keeps me rolling, what keeps me waking up every day excited. What keeps to... me rolling is a great way to, yeah, that's <laughs> a perfect way to put it, yeah. Yeah, you know, I want to see what's next, what this can do and uh, explore the boundaries and blur the lines between board game, card game and role-playing games and story games and battle games and everything. So you know? the reason my, you know, my experience is I, I'm now using it to teach and I, I teach teach and also coach teachers on how to teach with story games. And I want to loop back to something you said almost at the beginning of our time, um, which was, you know, coming up with a GM-less game, a game where there's no storyteller, where we all share the outcomes and saying, you know, there is no authority here. Here's what's behind the curtain. Let's all decide what we want to do together. That's what ultimately every teacher uh, aspires to do. If you're really good at what you do as a teacher, you're cultivating learners, which means your students will be coming to the room and saying, okay, what are we doing today? Let's learn some things about this, 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 this. They're planning projects. You're there as a guide. Mm-hmm. You're there as a coach. You're there as sort of a resource. You can say, yeah, you might want to look here for that. Or, mm, ooh, you should probably look into this. Or, have you read this book? Um, but if you're doing it right, your students become independent learners and they no longer need you. Um, it's a lot like parenting. You want to you wanna make sure that you eventually become unnecessary. You exactly. might be wanted. <laughs> you might be wanted, but you're no longer needed. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's the same thing in game design. I, as is. a teacher, my goal is always to say, listen, we're here for you. Let's talk about what you want to learn, and then let's figure out how, how you can do that. My job is to help you get there. You'll and facilitate. I got a lot of tools and strategies, and I can help you in all these ways, but I am not your boss. Yeah. I am your colleague. Yeah. We're going to learn together. And I think that's that's such a powerful way to approach. Exactly. exactly. I, th- I think I had a, a little background as a teacher as well. I, I, I taught uh, a, bit, a bit of uh, English and Portuguese back in Brazil. And mm. uh, when I released that game, Intrepid, that we talked about in Brazil, I was invited to an actual play. And uh, they said, hey, can you come and be the game master? And I said, oh, well, this game is... There, there's no game no. master. No, I can't uh, do that. I can't do that. But uh, read the but, game. Uh, we want you there. Uh, said, okay, I can be the the host of the game. Yeah, I'll yeah, be yeah, there yeah. to clarify some rules and perhaps nudge you in the the uh, some directions and remind you of the tools that you have in the game and things like that. And boy, did I have the best time of my life seeing they <laughs> come up with the things with the tools that I created and say, hey, you know what? You have that thing. What about you do? But leaving the authority of the narrative to them completely yeah. and just seeing it coming to fruition. Oh boy, that was the best. <laughs> this is this is what I do. I mean, this is my job as a teacher. So the way that I, I run my, my classes, I have about 12 different worlds that are sort of like lore seeds and they're all set up on different Google documents. Um, they're in slides and they all are illustrated. They have all the rules in there and they have the little bits of lore seeds. The first thing we do is vote for worlds. And everyone can vote yes, no, or meh for every world. And I always tell them, don't vote no unless you're just like, absolutely not. Right. You know, because the goal is to find the one that scores the highest out of all 12 worlds. And then I always say, we're not going to go with majority rules. You guys are going to have to argue with each other until you decide on a world. And 
oftentimes if they can't, we'll we'll do a mashup and we'll merge two. So like last week, they wanted to do they wanted to do Knights of the Microbiome, which is this uh, game I have about you play microbes in the body, nice. um, and you are you have sworn to defend the body from harm and to support all the healthy denizens of the body, right? And so you cool. get to explore the body as this. And there was one student who was like, no, I just find it gross. No, I'm <laughs> not going to do it. So what we ended up doing is we merged it with a science fiction background. They ended up being survivors of the endless arc. So they're on a giant, massive, planet-sized spacecraft that was created to save a world's life. And they are floating in space, but the keepers, whoever it was who put this together, they've disappeared long ago. They're kind of myth now. And the different parts of the ship have kind of, you know, there's all these environments, right? For different creatures there. They've all kind of decayed and disintegrated and they've never finally reached Eden, right? So they are are survivors (laughs) on this ship and they have to, but like the kids write the lore. So every week they get to write stories in between classes and come up with whatever they want. And then the first hour we spend together, we are reading those aloud, doing all the editing things about like, okay, you need a paragraph here and like, ooh, some more description here would help. And then figuring out how all that lore combines and the second hour we play through the story. And very much I'm a facilitator. You know, I'm not you know, this is the world they create. These are the storylines they create. You know, you never know when they're going to be like, yeah, okay, so this is going to all hinge on magic. And I'm like, dude, there's magic? I didn't know that. And like, I'm like, <laughs> no, okay, we figure this okay. Out. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, zombies, we're going to do that. And yeah, we all joke about the fact of, you know, I tell them early on, I'm like, listen, two rules about stories. First rule is whatever you write becomes true. And the second rule is that whatever you write, it's yours. So you're responsible for it. So if you create okay. a world ending monster and everybody, everybody else will be like, dude, <laughs> like we're gonna, you want us to deal with that? My guy. Um, so it's, it's super fun though. And that's the reason I never get bored because yeah. these stories are not my stories. It's their stories. And they, be, you know, they write novels. It's the and best. it's only because they've never had that ownership before where they're like, Oh wait, so whatever I want, And the other thing is everybody, you know, that sharing, it's so crucial. I often think this, um, you know, you see people's pride. It always comes from something that they've had this wonderful shared experience and they've demonstrated a skill and been celebrated for it. Right. Right. And for kids, especially, especially for kids who've never had that, you know, there's so many kids who are so creative and so brilliant and so, you know, deeply invested in, in, in making worlds. And there's nowhere in their life where they've been able to demonstrate that skill for peer recognition. So there are so many kids who like, this is the first time they've been like, here's the story I wrote, you know, and there's always with this sort of sense of like, mm-hmm. and then, you know, we read the story aloud and the other kids are like, whoa, no, <laughs> oh my God, you know, and like kids are laughing and that kid, you just watch him and they're like, all of a sudden they're like, oh, this is this is a thing I can do. Yeah. Um, and, right. and there's a huge shift in pride and enthusiasm. And all of a sudden, this academic thing, writing, has yeah. become this passionate, creative thing that kids get as committed as athletes do to their sports, right? They're like, oh, I'm going hard. And you'll get a kid who, you know, they went from one page a day to I'm going to write 10 pages a week because I got this, you know? And like, yeah, it's it's just huge. And for me as an instructor, I I consider what we do to be experience design, 
We help people have experiences together. Exactly. And that's the same thing you do as a teacher. It's the exact same thing. It's just these tools are amazingly effective at helping people have these transformative experiences together. And we see that when good sessions of uh, cooperative games like that, uh, narratives, shared experience like that, is by yeah. the end, when people think that was a good session, it, that there is this sense of accomplishment. Yes. And that they are happy with themselves with, with what they achieved in the story, not personally necessarily like on uh, my character defeated the boss, but... Uh, Wow, look at the things that we were able to come up together. There's this ownership, the sense of belonging, the sense of accomplishment. Belonging, community, community. and pride. Yeah. Like for yep. kids especially, I mean, I remember having those games when I was young. I started playing probably at 11. And boy, I don't think I was very proud of many things when I was younger. And this was one of the areas in which I was like, wow, I feel more confident. And over yeah. the years, that that confidence I built in in storytelling with other people became a real pillar of my confidence as a person in the world. Oh, for you know, me I too. can carry that, that pride and yeah, I'm good at this thing. And yeah, I can tell yeah, stories. I, I think when I realized I was able to come up with things on the spot, playing RPGs, I became much more comfortable in public speaking and not yeah. because of the acting uh, of the, the, yeah. uh, the characters, but because of the thing that I, I'm comfortable that I won't be cornered by my own ideas because I know how to improvise. Trapped. I you won't, won't get trapped. You won't get trapped. Yeah. yeah. And, and it helped a lot. You will never be stuck. You can always you can always figure out, okay, in this situation, where's my next step? I can yeah. find a next step. Yeah, can I can this. create connections. Yeah. And as somebody says something on the audience, I can bring it back into my story. That's RPG. You know, Another thing that we haven't mentioned, and I feel like we're, we're already ranting about all the things, but <laughs> social skills, because so many kids struggle with, uh, you know, reading other people, understanding how and when to say a thing and when not to, um, figuring out, you know, how to feel confident speaking up, f figuring out when not to speak up. You know, th these are complicated things and they're very nuanced and contextual, mm -hmm. right? Depending on the context. Sometimes you want to speak up, sometimes you need to shh, quiet down and and you know, when to ask a question that helps someone else. You know, these are very nuanced things to learn, but they can really you get really good at them spending time in a story game with other people. It's impossible yeah. not to because you have to practice doing this push and pull of where's the narrative going. And I do think that's one of the values of more narratively shared games which have less, you know, this is the author and they will tell you the story and then you will just, you know, yeah, roll a couple of dice and good luck. Maybe you. <laughs> maybe you will succeed and maybe you will fail. Now, the ones in which you're making decisions as an author with other people, there's so many different things that you're learning socially. And I always say as a teacher, like, gosh, I, I facepalmed when I started teaching with role-playing games because I it does all the things, all these magical things that teachers are absolutely bleeding to figure out how to do with kids. <laughs> yeah. Create a community where they genuinely support each other. Help them develop uh, help them develop social skills so they learn how to communicate and genuinely collaborate with one another. Feel pride in academic success and peer recognition for academic achievement. Not, we will all applaud for this person's presentation right. or this person got an A, but- Oh my gosh, we love your story. 
which is a completely different kind of reward. Um, so all these very sophisticated, nuanced things, and also help help them figure out their own identity, right? Who do I want to be? What are parts Absolutely. of me that I like? How do I amplify those? So it lets them do all these amazing things, and it's one approach. And I'm like, wow, it's 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 really, uh, I mean, it's sort of a, a brilliant miracle cure for education. Um, truly believe that. I haven't seen anything that works as well or does as many of the complex things that you want kids to be able to experience in a classroom. And I agree with you, you know, you said earlier in an interview, this really applies to so many different contexts. I think if you want to have a, a, you know, a team building session with your, with your team on a company, play a role-playing game. Oh yeah. (laughs) You will like each other more. You will communicate better and you will have touchstones of story to go back to. Right. You know, (laughs) you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, there are a lot of things that I like to to explore that are different uh, within the games I design, but uh, I think this aspect of uh, having a shared narrative experience or uh, one that is solo but is, is shared with something that is a, uh, an outside input into your creativity are uh, things that I still find coming back to my game design every now and then. And there there's so much that can be said. Uh, I think that's this week we uh, we just crossed over forty thousand physical games on itch, and that excites me a lot. That's because, so cool, isn't that's it? So cool, <laughs> and it's so good because we see that uh, the potential of uh, of this this tool that we're creating, this experience uh, that we're, we engage with. And uh, I want to see more. I want to see where this goes. We've mentioned uh, the push mechanic, the rolling right. the D6, and then having to make that fraught decision. Do I accept my complication or do I push it and risk losing it all? Um, and I wanted to mention push because we mentioned Nexalis. And if you're out there and you'd like to play a game that has some sort of very narratively intense combat, that you know where you're making really emotional decisions every time you decide to do something in combat, which is to me, if you're going to do combat at all, that's the way to do it. Because um, if it's just you know, I see how many points of whatever I do, <laughs> then it's it's sort of ca- contrary to the epicness of the of the thing that you're doing. I mean, if it's life or death. It should feel really edge of your seat dramatic, and I think Nexalis does that beautifully. Oh, thank um, you. But I wanted to. No, I have nothing but lovely things to say about every game you've ever made. Um, But also, I wanted to mention Push. That was that mechanic uh, that we mentioned earlier. And another thing that's lovely about Push is it is written precisely to help anyone very quickly build a world and build a game, an actual story game of their own um, in, in a very elegant uh, and very like easy to understand way. And if you are at home and you would like to try a different storytelling game other than Stories RPG, if you want something to experiment with, I cannot recommend uh, Push more strongly. I think it is both really easy to pick up and play, but also really inspirational. It's very quick for you to build a world and build a story and start running around in it doing stuff. Yeah, I, when I came up with that uh, conflict resolution mechanic, I sat on it for a while because I decided that if I wanted to publish it, it shouldn't be just that. 
you know, here's mm. a conflict resolution and go ahead and uh, figure out for yourself how to make a game with it around it. And that yeah. for people that are trying to experiment with game design, that's a huge challenge. So I sat on it and decided to come up with a package that uh, not only uh, would hint at a few game design philosophies that were or are very true for me or were at the time because I change a lot, but mm. give those uh, guidelines for you to step-by-step make your own game using it and tweaking to your tastes. And I think it, it worked because, I mean, it's been translated into seven languages. I have more than 60 games published with it and uh, downloaded around 3,000 times. So uh, the idea of uh, offering people that perhaps never made a game or made games in a very traditional way and want yeah. to explore a way that is freer, yes. you know, there's no modifiers to the, the roles even. It's just a thing that helps you give you a spark for a scene and build around that moment. One of the things that I like the most that I stated on this, 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 I started the system reference document, which is the guide for you to make the games is rolling dice is always an option and never an obligation. Yes. Which is if you want to invite drama to your story, you can yes. roll it. It doesn't need to be risky. It doesn't need to be mysterious. It doesn't need, if you are reading, your character is reading a book in a library peacefully and you, you think, you know what? I want to stir things up here. And as I flip the page, I'm going to roll the dice and invite a drama in. Yep. You were saying as the author, I want complicated things to perhaps yes. happen here. And yep. In other stance, if you're in the middle of a fight and you don't feel that this is dramatically important for you to consider complications, you can simply say, I don't want to roll dice and things go as I want them to go. Here's how it here's how it resolves. If it's yeah. not, yeah. My thing is I always tell students, we roll when we want to be surprised. Exactly. When we're like, you know what? I want I don't know. And I think it would be cool to inject some shock and some weirdness and some drama. And the drama is not just for the characters. The drama is for us as authors, but also as audience. audience. We're audience for our own story. Yeah. And sometimes we just, we want a twist, man. We, we, we just need you to do something weird. So let's roll some dice and figure out what the weirdness is. Precisely. And it's always there for you when you want it and not as an obligation. And since you don't have like hit points or anything that you're keeping score of, you don't feel afraid to invite drama because yes. you know that the things that will unfold afterwards are story-wise. You're just making the story more interesting, not less interesting because you're going to like lose your character. You're yeah. injecting interest, not removing it when you roll dice, which I think it's a very important. Well, you know, in, it's funny because in Stories RPG, we have, you know, there's three hearts and kids will say, well, can I buy an extra heart? I said, no, you can't. And they say, why not? And I said, well, think about in a story. Here's what the hearts represent. The hearts are there to increase drama. Every time you lose one, it reduces the maximum number of dice you can roll. So the tension when you roll the dice becomes higher because you can't, it's it's less likely for you to succeed, which means that that outcome becomes even more exciting, whether it's a failure or a success. And if you think about a story, usually there's only about three setbacks 
three really tough troubles and hearts don't mean you got hurt. They could mean anything from you're having you're you're feeling dissociated, you're in the corner and you're completely detached. You're you're you you felt humiliated by something and you're ashamed. You're really frustrated, you're angry. Um it could mean any range of a number of things. Maybe it just means you got grimy. You went through the su- the sewers and when you come out you're covered in muck and you're like, "Oh, I God. just feel wretched. <laughs> yeah. Like, look at me. It just ruins your mood. But so, it's a story but, beat. But it's a story beat. And you it takes only three of those. Usually three is the maximum amount of torture you can put a poor character through yeah. <laughs> before you need them to have a moment. Right. And you need to either, you know, okay, it's time for you to rest. It's time for you to take a nap. Time for you to get a nourishing meal. Somebody's going to give you a hug and reassure you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, you know, like just build you up a little bit, and but in a good story, fool, right? Yeah. Cause in a good story, if you just kept beating that character up, boy, your reader would eventually be like, I'm done with this. This is not fun for me anymore. Right. I'm just mean to this character who I care about. Um, so yeah, I always explain they're there for narrative purposes. Exactly. Not for, this is not for bookkeeping purposes. This is to either ramp tension up or release it. Precisely. That's what was one of the inspirations for me to design Kismet, actually, which oh, is another Kismet. game. Oh, talk about Kismet. I'm sorry. We're going to just take, let's take as much time as you want. <laughs> right. So Kismet is a, is a single stat game. You just play your game with a single number. And this number, it, it fluctuates. So you have yes. a, a, a number from 1 to 20 that you start with, which is your kismet. Kismet means fate, destiny, or karma. Uh, yep. And then when you are trying to accomplish something, you roll a 20-sided die. If you roll over your kismet, you succeed. If you roll under, you fail. That's the basics of it. But the twist is... The button the is number, always the best thing about your mechanics. <laughs> it's always good. You're like, okay, that seems simple. And then like, boom. Okay, go. But the thing is, the number you rolled is now your new kismet. So <laughs> you get... Yay, I got a 20! <laughs> okay, you're guaranteed to fail next time, buddy. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I want gosh. to reproduce the uh, W plot structure of ups and downs. So it's yeah. like the karma, when things are going well, then the things are going bad. Yes. And you, I want you to metagame this thing. You know, I yes. want to invest on this action, but I know I'm setting up for success later or for failure, depending on the result that I get. And uh, it's kind of a riff off on, on things like games that put a lot of emphasis on the modifiers on stats and everything, but yeah, then yeah. you roll a D20. D&D. That <laughs> is like only 5% increments. And the difference between you being a very good character and a very bad character is like 20% chance. Well, this so- is one thing that I, <laughs> I absolutely, this has always been one of my quibbles with the basic mechanic of Dungeons and Dragons. I, I as a player, if the game weren't about winning, if the game were actually about drama and story, the, and when I say the game, I mean the mechanics of the game, right? You you can say what you want about, we tell a great story. That's great. I think most people who love D&D really love this magical secondary thing that they do together that isn't really about the rules. And I think that's why more people don't do it is that you have to learn 
you have to learn the rules and then you have to learn to ignore them. Yeah. And it's this, it's this secondary game that you create when you're ignoring the rules that people really love. When they talk about their experience at the table, they're not yeah, like, like, I did this very clever too. tactical thing. It's, <laughs> I made up this thing and we, we sweet talking, we decided we could, and it was all outside the rules. But right. the game itself, one thing I always thought was frustrating is you see all the illustrations and you're like, oh man. It's all these giant epic warriors and wizards and, you know, sneaky thieves and, oh gosh, I'm going to cast magic and I'm going to, and, and I'm like, well, I like playing, you know, the mighty feud warrior. I'm going to have like a giant, I'm going to be really strong. I have a plus four to my strength when I roll my D20 and I got an 18 strength. You know, that dude in the corner wearing the wizard hat with an eight strength, he's got a pretty good shot at out arm wrestling you nine times out of time. Like he really, the chances when you roll that 20 sided die, your yeah. plus four means very little to very you. Very little. And, and for me, that was like, oh, this is yeah. just breaking my story. Like you, you told me I got to play this epic figure and then you made me just like unable to do all the epic stuff I needed my epic guy to do. Like if we were dueling in magic, okay, I'll take the, I'll take the L, but like, let me out arm wrestle this dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's like my whole thing. Exactly. Yeah. So for Kismet, instead of trying to fix that, I, I leaned it super yeah. heavily. Yeah. So it's super swingy. And, uh, but the thing is, you see your number going up or down and yeah. you see your chances changing. And that makes for a very unique experience of uh, anticipating the next story beat when you see that, that okay, uh, the next thing I'm going to try, it's going to be a complete mess. And sometimes you're surprised. Yeah. So like you're like, I'm going to do something really small in the next yeah. story. Being like, I think I'm just going to go to the store and try I'll to buy. A banana. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Carefully, because yeah. I know it's going to end up in my eye. Like, and, uh, but Because it's so swingy, you can still get surprised like you get a kismet of five you said yeah. okay i'm good i i'm gonna tackle the boss now and you're gonna yeah. roll and get a two <laughs> <laughs> and it eats your face it, exactly Jump. so uh yeah. it was like uh what if uh the things that we complain about D were actually the good thing about the game and then i yeah. took that and i said okay let's extrapolate it to the maximum um so if you want to find uh, Cesar's games, all of them, quirky, Q U I R K Y dot games uh, online. You can find him. And all really, honestly, if you're a family, if you're at home, if you'd like to do some storytelling together, cannot recommend Push more strongly. Nexalis is genius. Um, Kismet is, I mean, oh gosh, that, that mechanic alone, I got excited. Um, and you should really just go explore uh, everything he's written. I will, I will mention. As a bonus promo for you, uh, my partner, who is an anthropologist and a social scientist and a psychologist and has just gotten into game design and, and playing games as this creative experience shaping, uh, found, I think she found uh, Push and she ran into the room and was like, have you seen this guy's games? And I was like, that's Cesar. I know that guy. And I was both super excited because she had found you independently. And I was like, you have good taste. And also because I was like, I get to say yes and feel so sophisticated that I know <laughs> this person who's at the, the cutting edge of games. So Cesar's games are amazing. They're easy to play, easy to pick up. They're elegant and they're super engaging. So could not recommend them more. Quirky.games, go get them. <laughs> 
No, I just uh, want to say thank you once again. This has been a pleasure. I think we spent a, uh, an hour and a half here and went by easily. I think we resonate uh, with our philosophies of game design. So thank you once again for inviting me. It's been Absolutely. the utmost pleasure. Do, pleasure and a privilege. Um, <laughs> bye. Bye.